Hi friends, welcome back to AlleyCast. So with this week kicking off May, which is also Mental Health Awareness Month, I wanted to raise awareness around the most deadly mental illness, which will come as a surprise to most people, as it is not what you would think. It's actually eating disorders. Every 52 minutes, someone dies of an eating disorder, and only a third of people will receive access to care. Why is that? In today's episode, we have Joanna Candell, who is the founder of the National Alliance for Eating Disorders on the podcast. She talks about her journey. She talks about why treatment is a privilege and how the Alliance is actually bringing treatment to the masses, to more people, making it more inclusive. Without further ado, Joanna Candell. Cool, Joanna. So if you want to give just a quick background on, you know, kind of what the Alliance does, who you are and your journey to, you know, what you do today. Yeah, I am so excited first, I have to say, to be here. Thank you so much for having me and, and for holding space for this really important conversation. My name is Joanna Candell, pronouns she, her, and I'm the founder and CEO of the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. We were formerly known as the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness, and this past October, when we celebrated our 21st anniversary and we became an adult, if you will, uh, we decided to change our name to better reflect everything that we do for the community throughout the country and and actually throughout the globe. And so to give you a very short, you know, Cliff Notes version or Spark Note version of a very long story, like you, I experienced eating disorders for over a decade. I struggled in silence for a lot of, of my experience. You know, for me, genetics paid such a big role as as they do for all of, all individuals with eating disorders. Eating disorders ran in my family. I'm actually the also the child of a Holocaust survivor, so definitely transgenerational trauma there as well. And you know, I was born with a lovely gift of anxiety from the first moment that I took a breath and I was that perfectionist, that people pleaser, so many of the traits that you see that make it ripe for the development of an eating disorder. And to, you know, bring that societal, like proverbial trigger pull, I was a ballet dancer. Um, I started dancing at a very young age. And as we know, not only do we live in a very diet centric, weight biased, fat phobic world, but when you add on the ballet world on top of it, I mean, I was definitely ripe for developing an eating disorder. And I don't blame the ballet world. I just think it was one of the many things that created that perfect storm. And for me, I went on a diet like pretty much everyone else in our in our, you know, our world. And that diet for me turned into an almost deadly eating disorder, which for me showed up as restricting anorexia nervosa with bulimia nervosa and then with binge eating disorder. I like to, you know, consider myself the non-discriminatory eating disorder human, you (laughs) name it, I did it. And, you know, I also experienced eating disorders when people weren't talking about eating disorders. The only names that we heard were, you know, Karen Carpenter, who had unfortunately lost her battle with her eating disorder, and Tracy Gold, who was an actor on an after-school television show called Growing Pains. And so I didn't really know much about eating disorders. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I struggled complete shame and isolation and loneliness for almost a decade and came very close numerous times to losing my battle. And so it was because of that, it was because of my experience where I didn't have any intervention because even when I 
ended up in the, you know, cardiac care unit at 17 and a half years old. And they didn't think that my heart was going to continue. They never said the word eating disorder, never once. And there I was at the time showing up in that archaic stereotype of who develops an eating disorder, right? I'm Caucasian, cisgender, thin-bodied, female identifying. And even then, they didn't say anything about eating disorders. So it really became to me as I started my journey to recovery, and, and so much of my journey was that I didn't have access to care. And I know I'm so excited to talk about the privilege of care. It really became the blueprint of what I knew I wanted to do in my life. And you know, at the time, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist that specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. But what I really realized is what I really wanted to do was talk to that seventh grade me who really believed that I didn't deserve to be seen, heard, to take up space, to breathe, and to let her or him or they know that they are valid, that just simply by being alive, they are deserving of being seen, heard, and valued. And so I took a hiatus from from starting grad school, and I took out a student loan in my undergrad, which I might have not used the, 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 <laughs> the loan to pay for classes. I used it to start the Alliance. And I moved home to South Florida, and I worked three jobs for the first 10 years of this organization. And it is some of the hardest work I've ever done. And it is without a doubt the most amazing work I've ever done. It is my life's work and it is one of the biggest things that makes my heart beat every single day of my life. Wow. Oh, so beautiful. And just such a amazing full circle and a silver lining moment too. You know, it's like finding your life's purpose and your life's work in your darkest moment, I think is one of the most beautiful things that could have happened from that. I do want to go back, I guess, to sort of when you were struggling and how, you know, the doctors or the medical staff who were treating you, you know, didn't bring up eating disorder. Why do you think that was? Was it just kind of very taboo, you know, at the time? And because it feels like now, you know, even though it's not something that, you know, you're going to go to your barista and, and chat it up about, you know, people still feel a lot of shame around. It does feel so much more common to talk about, right? And especially on platforms like TikTok, it's it's so nice and Instagram to see people just being very open. So do you think it was just sort of like a taboo or were they really, I don't know, did they not take it seriously as like a medical condition? Yeah. I mean, all the things. I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, we have come so far in the manner in which we talk about eating disorders that we create opportunities so people feel and know that they're not alone. And yet, what's still happening is less than 8% of medical school residencies are teaching anything about eating disorders. And so, you know, I tended to be a little angry spice, if you will, like at the beginning where I was like, shame on them and they, they needed to do better. And one of the things I've learned along the way is you don't know what you don't know. And if you're not given an opportunity to learn about eating disorders, then you're not going to learn about eating disorders. And you're going to be left with you know, just the, you know, the common knowledge of what we think eating disorders are. What's really scary about that is that it's very exclusionary and it actually really leads to so many individuals falling through the cracks. So for example, male identifying humans, like a significant amount of male identifying men will experience eating disorders. You know, folks that live in higher weight bodies, you know, our friends of the BIPOC community, you know, individuals that, that are neurodiverse, like in all shapes and sizes, like 
that is what we need to know. And so I think we have come such a long way and it's been so like mind blowing to see how like the arc has changed over 21 years, right? I, I remember starting in this field and I remember very directly having small fundraisers and them saying, you cannot mention the word eating disorder. You know, wow. and even as 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 recently as yesterday, we were we were having a conversation in a high school, and they knew who we were and what we were doing. And some of my team were told right before the presentation, "Please do not say the word eating disorder," because we don't want them to get any ideas. And I'm just like, they're in high school; right. they know about eating disorders, friends. Sorry to break your bubble. So I think, you know, going back to your question is, I think it's, it's sort of this all sides of the story where our medical providers aren't being educated. We need to do a better awareness job and then being so grateful at the same time that we have so much opportunity uh, for consuming information. I would just say, let's just be very cautious of what information you consume because eating disorders are biopsychosocial serious mental illness. And I still think that there's a lot of people out there that think it's a disorder of choice or vanity when it's it's a mental health disorder. So we've come so far. And I would just say, let's continue to push the needle forward. Yes, yes. Such a good clarification. Yeah, if there's any, I guess anything you want to clarify or things that you people commonly get confused about like, I guess, is there anything that you would want to share with people listening? Just like things that you feel like are either, I don't know, common myths or things people get wrong about eating disorders. I know there's so much. um, (laughs) You're like, how much time do you have? Yeah, no, but you know, something that I, I really would love to share is, you know, I think, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but you know, many of us that have experienced eating disorders, when you're going through it, there's this period where you're like, I should be smart enough. I should be capable enough. Like so many shoulds to be able to fix this on my own, to be able to stop doing this, like to be able to eat, to be able to, you know, stop binging, to be able to eat all foods. And, you know, for me, I held so much shame for so long because I was like, how am I not able to do this? And what I've learned and what I really want people to hear is that mental health is health. So when we're talking about putting this onus on we should be able to do this alone, or, and very honestly, so many people live in environments where they're being told externally, you should, if you only wanted to, you should be able to fix this, right? You hear this with substance use, you hear this with alcoholism, is you would never tell someone with a broken bone to stare at their bone and say, come on, if I only was smart enough, I could fix it on my own. Or someone that God forbid was experiencing cancer to be like, come on, like I should be able to do this with chemotherapy. And yet a lot of times we and those around us will treat us like if like a character flaw, right? Like that we're not doing enough when individuals with eating disorders and mental health disorders need access to care in order to heal from their mental health disorders or in a way to be able to live effectively alongside them. Mm, Yes, that is so actually eye-opening, even for me listening, because I remember so clearly just feeling like I'm a capable gal, you know, I'm like, I went to Berkeley, like I should be able to figure this shit out. And I was like, what is going on? It was like my one thing, you know, I was like, I'm in a healthy relationship. I have friends like, and I was like listing all these things. And I'm like, food is the one thing I can't 
fucking figure out. And because of that, that also prevented me from seeking treatment because I felt so much shame around it. And speaking of myths too, I wasn't the stereotypical, I mean, I was in terms of like being, you know, cis, white, all of those things, but I wasn't frail. I didn't look like I had an eating disorder because I was binging a lot too. So yeah, same kind of thing where it's just like, it kind of keeps you stuck. Without a doubt. And then the other, the other thing just on, on that, you know, less than 6% of all individuals experiencing eating disorders are medically underweight. And I think that that blows people's minds a lot because we think, oh, you, you should be able to, to like, if you had a, like a lineup, you should be able to be like, that person has an eating disorder, that per absolutely not. And the other thing I just really want to say is that all eating disorders are restrictive based eating disorders. And what we mean by that is even with binge eating disorder, you know, that for me, absolutely restriction was at the crux of it. Cause I would, you know, restrict which would then lead me to binge. And then I would say, well, tomorrow would be a better day and I was going to be good. And I was like, I'm going to restrict again, which would again lead me into the binging behavior. So exactly, again, it's like one of these things where be very cautious of the information you have and realize that just because someone doesn't fit into that mold or appearance of who you think has an eating disorder, it doesn't mean that they're not struggling. And just because they're not medically underweight, it doesn't mean that they can't be dying from their eating disorder either. Mm, Wow. Wow. That is so mind blowing because yeah, I knew that it wasn't, you know, weight based, but that less than 6%, is that what you said? Jeez, that is, that is a, that's a tweetable that in a sad way, but that is so, (laughs) no, it's, it's so important to know because I think, yeah, we just learn growing up. Like you said, you know, you don't learn much about eating disorders and all you learn is like, oh, someone who looks like a skeleton, you know, is, has an eating disorder. And so that's why, yeah, I felt for so long, like there was something wrong with me. And the binging is so interesting because it's also, there's so many undercurrents of like, you know, there's, for me, I felt so much shame around binging, but not as much shame around the restricting portion. Right. So I was always trying to fix the binging and I'm like, I need to stop this. But, you know, of course, when I started working with a professional, they told me, you know, well, you need to work on actually stopping the restricting. And I was like, yep. God forbid. I'm like, no. (laughs) So yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a whole nother thing, but I want to get back to, you know, what you guys do and the work you do, because it's so important. And I get so many messages from people, you know, I was on Shark Tank this season 13 and I got just, when I, I talked about my eating disorder on there, which I think I was actually one of the first people to talk about. So I was so glad that they actually, you know, that I feel like that was a big step for national TV, but I had such an outpouring of, you know, DMs and from people and they were just like looking for resources, you know, where should I, my granddaughter, my wife, like X, Y, Z. And I felt very overwhelmed because I was like, I'm not a therapist. Like I, this was just my experience. So I want to, you know, obviously use you as a resource and provide some guidance for people listening, you know, that may themselves be struggling or have friends or family. So yeah, if you want to just talk a little bit about kind of why, you know, treatment is a privilege and kind of how you guys help with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really just want to pause too and say and say thank you for using that opportunity, that platform to raise awareness around eating disorders. And I think that that's is exactly what it's going to take to keep on pushing that proverbial needle forward is to be able to bring eating disorders to conversations, to be able to pass the mic to individuals that have been experiencing eating disorders because you never know who's listening. And clearly by the amazing like feedback that 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 you received after the show of I'm struggling, where can I turn, all of those things, you know that it's something that that people are an excuse for me this saying using this pun, but people are so hungry for. They want to know that they're not alone. And that 
brings up so much of what we do at the Alliance is when I was experiencing my eating disorder, and I, I would, I don't want to make any assumptions, but so many of us that have experienced eating disorders, when you're in it, you are so lonely, you are so, you know, isolated. And the one thing that you want more than anything is for someone to just look at you or say to you, me too, or to say something and they speak your language. And for the first time, you don't feel so scared or so isolated. And so that has really been so much of what we do here at the Alliance is, you know, for us, we have three main pillars here of what we do. And the first one being referrals to care, because when you find out that your loved one, or if you think that you are experiencing an eating disorder, you don't know where to turn. And I will tell you, the World Wide Webs are a little overwhelming, and you don't know where to look and who to trust. So we actually created the largest inclusive and comprehensive referral system. It's called Find ED Help. So findeatingdisorderhelp.com, where you can go in and it's made up of thousands of providers across this across the country and all levels of care. And you can put in your zip code, you can put in who you are, you can put in, you know, if you have a co-occurrence of eating disorders and you also struggle with a substance use disorder. And you can put in your insurance, which is a very big piece of it because we know that eating disorder care is extremely cost prohibitive. And many of us, if we are lucky to have insurance, need to use our insurance. And there can be the most amazing clinician in your area, but if they don't take your insurance and they cost hundreds of dollars per session, that is going to be very exclusive. So we try to do the best we can in, in utilizing your insurance and finding out like who is a good fit for you in the area. We also have a helpline that is completely staffed by licensed providers. And what we mean by that are these are therapists and dietitians that are specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. So when you call, you can always talk to someone who understands. They're able to do almost these mini assessments and talk to you. And if they can do assessments for safety, they can connect you to other services. But just having that safety to know that it's a therapist or a dietitian on the other line that's able to really help you connect to care in your area. The other thing that we do is, and it's really is my heart, this program is our support groups. Uh, we have 26 in-person support groups across the country, which of course were halted due to the pandemic, which made us shift to a virtual support group. And I will tell you that we have five free weekly therapist support groups. And in 2021, we had almost 19,000 participants in our support group. And it's Amazing. Like you would, you know, people from every, every state in the country, 71 countries around the world and like all ages above 18, you know, for, for individual groups, all genders, all races, like it's just all body shapes and sizes. It's such a beautiful space. And what's so amazing is you just see this just community of care that has, that has been created. So, you know, people can call us, they can go online, they can hop into our support groups. And then we also do a lot of education for our frontline providers. So doctors, nurses, dentists, to arm them with enough information that number one, they don't do harm because think about all the times you or, you know, your listeners have gone to the doctors where they were very clearly struggling with an eating disorder and yet they were shamed. I know that for me, when I was struggling with my binge eating disorder and I lived life in a much higher weight body, my doctor literally said to me, prescribed to me 
the things that I was doing when I was struggling with my low weight restricting anorexia nervosa. So to give them enough information so that number one, they know more, they can do better, and they can be able to refer to us and help, you know, then we can help refer them to care. So that's like an arc of what we do. And to answer your your question about privilege, which is one of my most favorite topics to talk about, only 30% of individuals with eating disorders ever get access to care and treatment for an eating disorder cannot be a luxury. It is a necessity. And, you know, when you look at BIPOC community, they're 50% less likely to get care than, than their, their Caucasian, like from the, the Caucasian population. And so again, that's something that we do a lot of work on Capitol Hill. We've worked with a lot of our members of Congress and Senate. We're actually working with the White House and with Assistant Secretary Dr. Admiral Dr. Rachel Levine on trying to improve access to care because people need access to care. And I didn't wake up one morning and neither did you and look out the window to say, it's a beautiful day and insert city. I think I'm going to have an eating disorder today. Right. And we deserve treatment. Yes, absolutely. No, it's so important to talk about. And I mean, I think even for me, I was living in San Francisco, you know, one of the most (laughs) privileged cities. I was working in tech. This is before I started this company, obviously, you know, making a tech salary. M- my treatment, I remember being like, geez, like it made me consider, you know, at like one of the highest. And I was, you know, I was fresh out of college. I wasn't making like six figures or anything, but still, you know, in the gr- like compared to the rest of the country, you know, very privileged. And I was just like, is this really worth it? You know, like actually asking myself that. And it's like life or death. I mean, it was my health, my mental health. And it was, it caused me enough to pause. And so I think, you know, if that happened for me, for people that, you know, obviously are, you know, at lower income brackets, then it's just not accessible period. So it's so important what you guys are doing. And I want to go back to the doctor and medical piece, because that is huge. And that's something I haven't actually talked about on here, but is so important because we put doctors on a pedestal, you know, as we should, you know, to some extent, because obviously they go through a lot of schooling, they, you know, can help save our lives. I'm not anti-doctor at all, but you know, I've definitely had my fair share. I also have an autoimmune. And so like seeing kind of the, you know, the other side for, I guess, more, I don't know, chronic conditions and also, you know, mental health disorders, I think, yeah, it's just, it's what, you know, they don't know what they don't know sometimes and, or, you know, how the system is set up and they don't have the time, right. With the way that insurance and everything is set up. So I have just, yeah, I, I feel that. And I just am so excited that that's what you guys are, are working on because that's really kind of getting it at the root, so to speak in some, some ways. Right. Yeah. And you know, what's so important too, is that, you know, I I feel the same way, you know, I'm so grateful for physicians and I'm so angry at physicians at the same time. And, and, you know, I, I, again, it's this idea of, you don't know what you don't know. And the medical community is so teed up to be riddled with fat and weight bias, right? Like we, the fact that we still have this archaic BMI that we're still like even bringing into play, which we know is bullshit. Like the, the BMI is bullshit. We know like even when like the CDC is like, yeah, we know it's crap, but we have nothing else, you know, to use. 
And so, you know, we need to be doing a better job at educating our healthcare providers to know about things like health at every size and to know about intuitive eating and the fact that, you know, we just launched this really amazing letter campaign for parents of young children that like they're, they're downloadable letters. Like, for example, you know, don't teach my kid that they're good food and bad food because that is setting them up for failure. And also that is such a lens of privilege because again, the food that you think is is bad food, maybe that's the only food that this family has access to. So then you're shaming on top of it or, you know, weighing kids in school, like, please don't do that. Like, please do not do that. And I understand that some states mandate that. So I think that, you know, what, I mean, if I was like master of the universe and I had like a magic wand, yeah. you know, I would, I would rehaul the medical system and say, you know, let's not, if someone lives in a higher weight body, discount what they're going through by saying, oh, if you lost weight, it would get better. Or if someone's going for an eye exam, like saying to them, you know, you really should lose some weight, like listen to them, listen to them as humans and stop looking at them at their body, body size, because someone can be deemed overweight or that other like O word that I absolutely hate more than life itself. And they could be completely healthy. So, you know, trying to like dismantle the the very unhealthy, you know, weight and like in size bias, but then also arming them with information on if you are male identifying, you know, if you are 70 years old, if you are 10 years old, you may be experiencing an eating disorder. And so giving them access to that information is not just important, but it's life-saving. And we really need to be doing more of that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just feel so strongly about everything you just said. And I think it really is one of those things where, you know, peeling back the layers. And I think it's, it's also one of those things where it's small changes that have kind of that ripple effect. Right. And I feel very excited about the future just because I do even see, you know, from my parents' generation to our generation or, you know, the next generation who's, you know, like on TikTok, for example. And I just feel like they're more aware and they're more, you know, self-aware. And also even just with, you know, pronouns, for example, or, you know, non-binary and kind of gender fluidity, it's like, this is all, you know, somewhat kind of new to the mainstream, but I feel like this next generation is just soaking it up like a sponge and so accepting and so excited to, you know, where it's like, I talked to my parents about, and my parents are very, you know, I would say open comparatively, but it's still kind of this like friction, you know, it's, and it's just because when you try and obtain and kind of learn new ideas and new information when you're older, it's like you're set in your ways. Right. So I think you're right. It's just kind of that next generation and the ripple effect and doing what you can kind of in your own sphere. But I do want to talk about you know, tips for people who are currently struggling, because obviously you just have so much knowledge and you've worked with so many people in the past few years. And I get this a lot where people will reach out and ask, you know, maybe it's not them who's struggling. Maybe it's their daughter or a loved one. And every situation is different. But if you just had some kind of general advice for people who are struggling, what would that be? As far as people that are struggling themselves, I would say, please know that this is not your fault. You did not cause this. There are forces way greater than you that came together to create the perfect storm that is your eating disorder. For sure that you do not have to go through this alone. In fact, we were never, ever meant to go through this alone. Despite what the shitty committee between your ears is telling you, you are not the exception to the rule that you deserve to get better. I wish I could say you will, no matter what, you will get access to care, but 
we also know that unfortunately that is not true, but there are places that you can go. For example, we know that many of the, the, the people that attend our support group, even though support group should never be in lieu of individual care, it should be an adjunct. The truth of the matter is, is that for many individuals, our support groups are the only support that they will ever get. And know that you're not alone. Know that it gets better. Know that you're not supposed to fix this on your own. This is not something that, you know, as we talked about before, this is, you know, if you have enough willpower, if you have enough intellect, if you have enough of this or that, that you'll be able to do this on your own. You deserve to get to get care. I will also tell you that please know that there is life beyond eating disorders, that it does get better. And whether that you connect with the word recovered or in recovery or recovering or healing or whatever ending to the word or word, please know that it does get better. I am someone who, you know, even to this day when I see, I was finally, after many years of struggling, I was finally able to get access to care. And I have a therapist that I, I worked with that every once in a while when I, when I see, I'll hear from her and she'll see like what I'm doing now. She'll be like, man, I had <laughs> never thought you were like, <laughs> such an asshole. And like, you know, and so just please know that, that again, despite what the crap between our ears is telling us that you do deserve care, that you can recover, that you deserve to be seen and heard, and that you do not have to do this alone and that there's support. There is support for you. Now, if you are a loved one, first and foremost, become as educated as you can on eating disorders. You can definitely check out the Alliance's website. There's a ton of resources, a ton of tools. We have groups specifically for loved ones. I cannot say enough about them. They fill up my cup like I can't even tell you. Do not be afraid to not talk to your loved one about it. I think that we often get so scared about saying the wrong thing that we don't say anything. And I will tell you that if you sort of stand by in silence, your loved one is going to think that it's not so bad. And, you know, again, like intervention is important. When you talk to your loved one, use I statements, talk to them, say, I'm really sorry that, you know, you're going through this. I can only imagine how difficult this is. I'm really sorry. And please know that I'm here and that I love you. And I'm here to walk next to you and reach out to us. We can give you resources and the last thing that I will say is make sure to fill up your cup because you cannot pour from an empty cup and you definitely need to put that oxygen mask on you if you're going to walk next to you and support someone that has an eating disorder. Yes. Beautiful. Oh, it's, I, I really wish, I mean, I'm, I've come a long way, you know, and my, my parents both, I think have learned a lot too, but I think having the education as someone who is, you know, the bystander who is watching someone go through this is more important than many people realize. And it was more important than I realized because I remember first after sharing with my parents, like, you know, I remember my mom and she listens to this podcast. So hi mom. <laughs> like we'll talk hi, about that. Yeah. We'll talk about this after, but she always, you know, would kind of like almost overthink things. I think where she'd be like, do you want to come over for dinner? And it's been, but like, you don't have to, you know, like she would feel uncomfortable about, and I'm like, just be normal. And so then I felt mad because I was like, oh, like I shouldn't have even told her, you know, and this whole spiral. So I think that is really important, especially like your close nuclear family or people that you spend the most amount of time with yeah. because, you know, even little things. And I've had to, again, share with my parents, you know, cause they're so ingrained. They're both, you know, triathletes and it's like, they're so ingrained of like, you know, burning off X, Y, Z or like that verbiage. And I had to, you know, teach them. And it's all just a conversation and they're so open to learning and open, open to growing and things, you know, that trigger me, or I feel like don't 
I don't like hearing in my day to day. And it's just like, now things are great, but I think it took a long time to get there. And so, yeah, just having everyone invested and and also learning during the process could be so, so helpful. It's huge. And I'm so happy you said that. And I'm so grateful to hear about your, your parents and, you know, families, you know, whether it's blood or not blood, can be the biggest allies on your journey to recovery. There's not even a question and, you know, being a parent now, I, I understand so much more of like what my parents, specifically my mom went through. It's, you know, you're, you love your child to the ends of the earth and you will do anything. And, and, you know, you see your kid dying in front of your eyes in a sense. And, you know, you're so afraid because I know that for me, any time that anybody said anything to me, like that wall would go up and I would turn into, you know, angry spice 2.0 over here. And, you know, and so it turned out that like a lot of like, my, my mom got really scared to say anything or, you know, my best friend at the time. And they are also the reason why I'm here today. So um, right. you know, loved ones, I cannot say enough. Thank you for walking this journey with so many of us. We couldn't be here without you. Beautiful. Yes. I think that is the perfect end point. Joanna, where can people find and learn more? Obviously your website, but is there any other, you know, kind of resources or places you want to shout out? Yeah, no, definitely our our website, which is allianceforeatingdisorders.com. Please follow us on, on our socials. It's at Alliance for ED. We have amazing fireside chats. We have amazing conversations. This May, during Mental Health Awareness Month, we are launching a campaign to ensure that eating disorders are part of the mental health conversation. So please join us. We're having amazing conversations about you know eating disorders in male-identifying folks, eating disorders in the Asian community, just really to shine some light on you know communities that typically don't get any awareness and really to provide resources for people. So we're around also, if you're looking for treatment, going to findedhelp.com. But more than anything, knowing that we are just a phone call, an email, a DM away, and you don't have to navigate this on your own. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's so nice to put a voice. I mean, I know people can't see you, but a voice to the name too. So now everyone listening, you know, I feel like it will be a lot easier to reach out rather than a faceless organization. Yeah. Thank you so much for this awesome conversation. Thank you. This was great. Mm -hmm.